Might I make a suggestion, Paul? This is none of your business, pal. I'm just saying, um, I don't think it's the best idea to be crossing Tracy. Really? The last person who did regretted it. I'll take my chances. And I don't want to talk about this anymore, so I'll zip it. My ears are closed. Google Tracy Barlow. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. And welcome to episode 228 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast directing Steve's had the right idea, so until Summer's baby nonsense is resolved, Max's racism redemption is complete, and Arnie avoids another mini-stroke long enough to fix Ken's roof, let's all fuck off to the Costa del Corri and sprain our ankles, shall we? I'm Gavin. And I am now the proud owner of a painting of David the Gnome, nude. <laughs> now, when you say David the Gnome... Yes. David... David Platt. No, David the Gnome. You know David the Gnome? No. He's a gnome. Well, I, I gathered that by his last name. Shirt. I thought David the Gnome was a British thing that we got over here occasionally in America. Was it not a British thing? Maybe it was a Canadian thing. No, I do not have a painting of David Platt nude. If Most only. of pity. <laughs> I see a, a blackmail opportunity mm. gone a begging there. It's uh, Spanish, apparently. No, I've no idea what that is. So here's David the Gnome sitting in the nude. Oh, waiting, but you can't see anything. Waiting for his wife to fill the bathtub for him. As all good gnomes should. But not only do I have this painting. Oh, of course there's more. Well, I didn't want to buy just this one because I thought it would be kind of weird. So there was another painting of David oh, no, the Gnome. Oh, no, it's weird. That is weird. Your your instincts were right. <laughs> and so I bought that one too, and I didn't realize until I got it home and really looked at it that it's David the Gnome on the toilet. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yep. There's, now, <laughs> now, what do you suppose I find most interesting about this picture? Uh how the toilet roll is exactly yes the because toilet it's roll over. is over which is how it's meant to be that's Instead how it was under. how it was explained in the patent but i much prefer to balance the empty cylinders on top of the on top of right. each other, so yes yes which is how i found it upstairs just before we started recording oh, and i had to put the roll on the that honestly wasn't me <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been in the bathroom today <laughs> well that is that is definitely a, a gnome <laughs> shitting. One, one assumes. Yes, because he's sitting down, and you would think that a male gnome would stand, would pee standing up. Sometimes it's good to do a posh pee every now and again. And he's also reading a book. And I think maybe. It's a Chris Moyle's book? And I think maybe also holding up a match. I don't know. It looks like he's holding something in this hand. This is all great for what is a, an auditory experience for I our listeners. I will be posting these oh, pictures I'm sure on you will. Twitter. You sure he's not doing a crossword or something? He might be. He might be. But 
do you really hold a pen like this? Well, I hold a pen very strangely, so. Right. So, so yes, I do. You're also not a gnome. No. No. I do like a shit, though. <laughs> you do. Sometimes it's the best thing that happens to me that day. Sometimes a pee is nice as well. Oh, yeah. It's all good. But nothing beats a good <laughs> shit. <laughs> right. Whether you're a human. Well. <laughs> no. I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if I'm speaking just for myself or on behalf of the listeners when I say that that didn't exactly go the way I was expecting. <laughs> now, these these were from an estate sale here in town. Tomorrow, I will be I'm very excited because I will be going to an estate sale in East Lansing with a tiger. Yeah, there's a tiger for sale. Yes. A stuffed tiger. A stuffed tiger who died of natural causes and not from a hunt. I I he lived in a zoo, and he died of old age, and then they stuffed him. I don't think there's. I don't think stuffing occurs. I think taxidermy is all about skinning and reframing. I well, think. yes, yes, Isn't that's it? what taxidermy is. Yeah. yeah, it's not really stuffing. You know. <laughs> Otherwise, everything would just look like a ball of paper. It I would guess. look. It would look very nice in uh, trim up north next to the weasel. <laughs> right. So, it yes. could replace the motorcycle because that tiger's not falling over on Audrey. <laughs> no. One would hope. <laughs> yeah, that explains our back to our Friday night recording again because you're off to do that tomorrow. Don't buy that tiger because it's, no, it's 40 I, grand. Right. And also we don't have room for it. And it's 40 grand. Right. It's for, my, my point is even if we did have room for it, I don't want it. If it's still there, it wouldn't be 40 grand at this point. It would probably be like 10 grand. Ah, still. Still. We don't have room for it. I, I will, I, however... I insist that that's the second reason why we don't buy it. <laughs> I will, however, if they're still there, buy the Russian leaders, the Soviet leaders, nesting dolls. Russian nesting dolls. No, they look quite, quite groovy. Yes. <sighs> uh, still. Oh, well. So how, how, was, how was your week? How was uh, your day? I was going fine up until five and a half minutes ago. But <laughs> you got to see a picture of a gnome shitting. Yeah. After seeing a gnome's little bare body as, <laughs> as he prepares for his bath. Right. Which he's making his wife draw for him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gnomes. Gnomes do succumb to the patriarchy. They do. And that's fine. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that. <laughs> wow. Give us some of that. Tiger, tiger, burning bright news. <sighs> Haley Cartwright, an actress who has played an officiant named Hazel on Corey once or twice. She has. Was so inspired by that role that she now works as a real life officiant. Oh. Yeah. Specializing in performing funerals for people without family members and people who can't afford to pay for funerals. So isn't that a nice thing? Inspired by Coronation Street. Isn't that is a nice? lovely thing. It's like that time that Daniel Brocklebank decided to... Preach uh, a sermon? ...become a, a real archdeacon because he enjoyed serving soup so much. <laughs> so that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Not yet, anyway. No. Shirley Houston has become the latest on the cobbles to receive an MBE. Woohoo! Huzzah! She received the honour for services to drama as well as services... To people with disabilities, of whom she is an outspoken advocate. Remarkably good news for her. Yes. What a what an achievement. Absolutely. 
And that's because uh, she's quite young. Don't you? Don't aren't you rather like like in your fifties or sixties when you get your MBE? No, the they give time? them out to anybody these days. Well, well I don't no, mean that like that. No, but it's of a great any honor. age, of any age, they give them out. Yeah, because it's purely about achievement. It's not about your 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 age yeah. at all these days. I think maybe if we go back to the the seventies, it was more. Your older folk, but now it's like sports Andrew stars who are, who are still who are still playing. Like mm-hmm. Andy Murray got his knighthood when he was still playing tennis, and right. I think David Beckham maybe got his right. his gong when he was still playing, <laughs> and uh, continues like that. And continues to do so if Posh has anything to say about it. That's right. She is. She is no Giselle Bunchen when it comes to getting her her man to get back to work. No, who? Tom Brady's wife. Tom Brady. Oh, Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, she's divorcing him, isn't she? Yes, yes. And finally, last week we had to be coy about it, but now it's official. Oh. Sue Cleaver is out of Coronation Street and into the jungle. Starts on Sunday. As she joins the cast of I'm a Celebrity with other people who <laughs> I don't know. A Halloween. Really <laughs> a Halloween I'm a Celebrity, apparently. <laughs> Spooky. Spooky. I'm, well, it's not really spooky anymore because they're not in the castle. The castle's spooky. Yeah. Because it's Welsh. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a decent lineup. I know a few of them. And after being sort of 10, 10 and a half years out of the country, to know more than a handful is, is I think, not a, bad, not a bad haul. I know Chris Moyles is in it. And that politician, what's the, his name? The politician with the with the stiffy. What was his name? Matt Hancock. He's in it. <laughs> just a and creepy, he, creepy man. And he lost his he lost his job because of it. He can't. He didn't lose his job. He lost the party whip, which right. means that he's no longer a Tory MP. He's just an independent MP. Right. And uh, yeah, there was a there was a couple other ones that are that I knew. I might watch at least the start of it. Right. Yeah, because we watched it when Liz was on. Anyway, that's Corey News. That is indeed current news, and before we jump to our next section, let's first of all uh, jump to our newly named section. It used Uh-oh. to be our mailbag, but now I'm calling Everybody's a Critic. <gasps> is um, this the music for Everyone's a Critic? Um, well, see, it was from Film 90-whatever, which was a film criticism show. Oh. So oh. it's multi-purpose. Yeah. After quite some time of... Saying at the end of every episode, if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Mm-hmm. This year, quite a lot of people have actually done that. And we've got a couple more this week. <clears throat> the first one is from PLD and is headed, please stop shouting. Hmm, I wonder which one of us, I wonder which one of the us he could be speaking to. You assume it's a he? <laughs> it's a three star review. Right. Which I don't think it's we've fine. ever had before. It's fine. And the comment reads this. Thusly. Indeed, thusly. Yeah. Gavin, <laughs> superb. Well, I'm loving this oh, already. Oh, well done, my darling. Thank you You're very superb. Much. Helen, please, please, please stop shouting and ranting <laughs> and swearing. Now, we found this hilarious. Yeah. Because you swear so much more than I do, because it is your national pastime. Well, it leads us to this week's hard debate. Right. <laughs> I was quite offended. Which one of us is the sweariest? 
Right. Now, I was expecting a landslide, and for a while it, it looked like it was going to be a landslide, but the final results were this. Really? Helen, 47.4%. And Gavin, 52.6%. So, so you still won. But I think there's only like a couple of votes in it. Oh, my God. It's funny because I only swear on this podcast and occasionally on list of lists, but I do not swear in real life. Not much. Occasionally. In fact, I yell at our 16-year-old child for swearing with his friends because, you know, it's the it's the lowest form of... No, it's not. It is. No. It is. It's funny. You can think of other words. It's big and it's clever. It's not. No, I was, I was shocked by this. Oh. And here's, here's how I react to that mm-hmm. practically. Now, we can say that maybe you are attracting these comments because you're a woman. Yes. And people don't like... Hearing women swear. Or or have an opinion or, or rant about something. Right, we yes. were good. We were toying with the idea of a Helen's rant of the week, remember? God forbid a woman have an opinion but, in this world. But rather than thinking that, what I started thinking was, do you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did forget to uh, level out our volumes because ah. I always do that because right. I'm naturally quieter than you are. Yes. So because I'm an American, <laughs> I'm loud. So I make myself a bit louder and I make you a little bit quieter. So we're on the same level. And I usually do that. And I thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe I forgot to do it that week rather than thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's just somebody who doesn't like women having opinions. Right. Which or I think an- says something about me that I'm not, that I can fix or, right, or try yeah. to fix, right? Or an American has an opinion. I, I honestly do think the American accent is, is much harsher and brasher than the Scottish accent, especially for people who may not be used to it. Right. You know. So, yeah, I have two strikes against me. I'm a lady <laughs> and I'm an American. Yeah. So how dare I have an opinion about a British show and how dare I say the word cunt or fuck? Or shit. Well, you don't have to go through them all because... Or ball bag. Well, you never say that. And that's not <laughs> I real swearing. I just said... No. Ass. Are you just... Hell. Or any other swear word. I'm, I'm, I'm. All of this is to say... <laughs> th- these comments are fine. They're fine. It's We, we, we take it in good spirit. We can't right. say... We can't encourage people to, say, to give us their opinions... Right. And then Chris then then get upset when they do. Right. Right. So Yeah, and it wasn't it's not really offensive. No, it's not offensive at all. They say please three times. I've been called worse. They didn't call you anything. Right. And I've been called worse. I have run for political office. I have a bit of a thick skin. But if we were upset by that, <laughs> which we weren't, right? No. Right. God I damn it, we were laughed when you told me. If we were upset by it, we did get another review. A five-star review this time. We did. From Mark, headed up, all for love. And this one is one I'm going to print off and frame. Yes, and it's also, it should be noted, a review by a man. Mark says, essential supplementary material for anyone who loves Corey, who loves listening to interesting conversations taking place between articulate, funny and intelligent people who... Intelligent. Who loves well-written, erudite, observational comedy slash commentary and mostly who loves love. The married couple at the helm of this podcast provide more insightful guidance on life than they realise. And we're lucky that this high standard of content is readily available. Hint. They have other podcasts if you find yourself wanting more good company when this one finishes. And that Mm. is just the loveliest thing I think 
and the one who's the first. I that fucking sure. love Mark. <laughs> He's the fucking best. Is this you going to be for the whole show now? Because it's <laughs> it's already well, I it's have, already good. It's, well, we're, we're I have good now. already subjected you to a picture of a gnome on the shitter. Yeah. So, and now let's podcast for coffee. Thanks to Melbourne Helen. Thank you, Melbourne Helen. Love you guys, she says. Thanks Aww. for the podcast. Still listening here in Melbourne, Australia. Cheers from Melbourne Helen. Because that snuck in right. under the wire. So that, that was included with our October money. Okay. And with our match, uh, I donated 70 bucks to, to Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And that in the fullness of time will be matched up to 280 bucks by my work and by the charity themselves. So... Thanks to everyone who donated that. So yes, thank you so much. Awesome amount for our October drive. So I'm really pleased with that. Yeah. So we have a Canadian Helen and Australian Helen. Do we have a British Helen? And we have an American Helen, obviously. I think I think we're missing one. If you're British and your name is Helen, please write us. And if you want to buy us a coffee, that'd be great. And this is how you do it. You go to kofi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. If you think this podcast is worth any more than the time it takes to listen to it, five bucks will buy us a cup of gas station Joe. Ten bucks will get us something from Big Beast, which will probably be with oat milk. Well, at least mine is. Yeah. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Big in Tarmac. Big in Tarmac. Is somebody at the airport? That's right. This was Sally discussing the ripping up of the Red Wreck with Fergus, who knew a councillor's husband who was Big in Tarmac. I was Gavin and you were, after a fashion, feeling better in a Monty Python voice. Oh, yes, yes. I'm not dead yet. What was it? I'm feeling better. You said it was from one of the movies, the one with the plague in it. Yes, which would be the... uh... Oh, dear. Oh, God, what's wrong with my brain? Don't worry, this was also embarrassing last year. Mm, The Holy Grail. There we go. I almost said the Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) Monty Python and the Chamber of Secrets. Now, there's now a movie. That's a movie I would like to see. Yep. HBO, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Although, between J.K. Rowling and John Cleese, you know. Yeah. We but start- there'd be a lot of men dressed as women. Love it. And that would be delightful. We started a medical section of the Talk of the Street where you went through all the medication you were on and I had strep again. Yes. I was swabbed by a younger version of the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. And you took a week off work while I was in an antibiotic fug and could remember very little of that week's quarry. I could have done with some antibiotics this week as well. Mm. The future of the Red Wreck is in the balance as the new bypass plans threatened to demolish it, which spurs Maria into activist action after seeing Liam from Emmerdale do a funny dance. That was a thing you were talking about last week. Liam from Emmerdale did a funny dance, remember? And people from Coronation Street watched Liam from Emmerdale do a funny dance and go, look. There's Liam from Emmerdale doing a funny dance. Let's all save the environment. Right. Yes. And the, and uh, right. And then there was something in the newspaper about Hollyoaks or something. 
doing something for the environment. And I think that was the headline, yeah. yeah. Hollyoaks or something does something. <laughs> Emma continues to have concerns for Curtis as the exertion of pushing Steve's cab down a cobbled street is enough to send him back to the hospital oh, no. after taking another turn. Oh dear. Ryan is thrilled to get his waiting job back at Speeddal and wastes no time grassing up Zidane after overhearing his conversation with Hashim because Hashim was still alive. <laughs> Debbie's plans to launch special private dining nights inspires Danny to put his creative chef's hat on as he rustles up a menu that attracts attention of a restaurateur from that London. That London. Everybody keeps getting headhunted to that London. Yeah. At this time of year. Yeah. Funny that. Funny that. Poor Sam hasn't spoken a word since seeing Natasha's corpse and a worried Nick sees seeks the same advice from all and sundry. Abby's future with Kev is thrown into doubt when Jack discovers her note while Nina and Ash and Homeless Stew track down Corey's missing backpack. Daniel responds to Dan. He did that again this week. Mm. Ryan forgets who has coffee. Ryan wasn't in it this week. No. And Chris, the journalist, is going to need a better angle than that. Our moment of the week was Abby winking at a captured ITV Corey. That was very good. Yeah. And a boring moment of the week was Emma trying to pronounce things. Mm. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time... Last year. Woo! Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline. Come on. Come on. Shake it off. No. Our first storyline tonight is Lawrence's Deep Dark Secret. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one you have to shake off? Just the whole thing. I, I had a tough week with Coronation Street this week. I don't know if it was because Scott isn't watching it anymore and isn't writing about it anymore that kind of made me, I don't know, just a little flat about the whole thing. See, I didn't mind it so much this week. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was too pleased with my David the Gnome paintings. <laughs> As well you should be. Are they paintings? They're yeah. More like etchings. They're paintings. On Monday, in Nina's Rolls, Lawrence has a surprise for Sean and Dylan. He's got tickets for The Watcher in the Woods. Ooh. Jump scares for him and Dylan. Bet Davis for Sean. Sean is totally made up. That sounds like a total deal. I would take that deal. Sean is totally made up and he's going to dress up for it. And coincidentally, it's Halloween. Sadly, though, he does not dress up like Betty Davis. No. Which would have been great. Sean meets up with George and Todd later in the Rovers and Sean is a bit full on bragging about his upcoming date. And you know what they say about pride coming before a fall? Eesh. Because back home, Todd is rushing off to another storyline, but before he can go, Sean wants him to take a photo of him, Lawrence and Dylan, before they head out. Lawrence passes Todd his phone because it's a better camera. Mm-hmm. And as he takes the photo, Lawrence's screensaver pops up, which features him and a bride looking all happy with each other like. Mm-hmm. Todd covers for this and leaves now safe in the knowledge that Lawrence has a deep and dark secret. Yes, and it's a woman. Oh, did I not say that? Well, you said bride. Oh, okay. But I'm saying the secret is a woman. Yeah. <clears throat> now, this could have all been resolved there and then. Right, yeah. By Todd saying, oh, who's this in your photo, right. Lawrence? Because you obviously can't be ashamed of it or trying to hide it because right. it's a screensaver on your phone, for goodness sake. No, it popped up in his memories. It wasn't a screensaver. Oh, was it? Yeah. oh I see. Because if it was a screensaver, then Sean would have seen it. Already seen it, right. Yeah. Anyway, later, after Sean's date is done and Lawrence has left, Sean accuses Todd of being jelly of his relationship. So, 
pissed off with this, obviously, Todd challenges Sean with details of the photo and reckons that if Sean didn't know that Lawrence had been married, the chances are he still is. Night, Sean. And he leaves. Right, yeah. Fuck you, man. Now, I was thinking at this point, maybe this is uh, Lawrence's sister or something. Because all it is is a woman that's getting married. Well, it's it's Lawrence arm in arm with a bride, like with a woman, and he's wearing a tuxedo. Yeah, and if you're going to your sister's wedding, you'd get dressed up for it, surely, right? Come on. That's it what looked I like it a was wedding photo. That's what I thought it was going to be. Anyway, it, it anyway, isn't. it's not. On Wednesday in the Rovers, Sean is with Lawrence, and he's trying very cautiously to ascertain Lawrence's opinion on women and drunken mistakes and keeping secrets and stuff. Lawrence isn't for biting, nips off for a shite, which prompts Sean to try and access his phone to see this photo and maybe get to the bottom of it all. But Lawrence catches him and doesn't believe Sean's excuse that he thought the phone was ringing when it wasn't. And annoyed, Lawrence goes off to work. And this leaves Sean to chat with Glenda about it. He explains what Todd told him, accusing Todd of getting off on playing with Sean's insecurities. Glenda thinks that everyone has a past and he should let it go until Lawrence decides to tell him what it's all about. And eventually, Lawrence comes back and makes it clear that while he understands Sean is paranoid and insecure, this sort of reaction isn't for him. Sean explains what Todd told him, and Lawrence explains that it was his wife. Oh, this just got better, said Sean. But she died eight years ago. Yay, says Sean. And was the only woman he ever loved or Or had had ever sex sex with. with. Apart from her, he's been exclusive man-on-man action. And he would have told Sean this in the fullness of time, but now... He doesn't feel like he has the energy or desire to deal with Sean's baggage. Oh. And so he leaves. Sadly. On Friday, Sean is up with the larks chatting to Mary, who's expecting a delivery of an LED home facial device ahead of the play performance that we'd kind yeah, of forgotten all like about. Wand. And at first, when she first just said she's waiting for an LED wand, I thought it was for a different body part other than her face. So did Sean. Sean is wearing a magic eye jacket and wondering how he should play this Lawrence situation and reckons an apology text should be enough. Glenda doesn't think that screams maturity and advises him to go bold with flowers at the dentist. So Tracy delivers Sean some apology sunflowers. He asks her if she thinks it'll work. I'm a florist, she says. I'm not Mystic Meg. Right. They are very pretty. One for the... One for fans of the Sun newspaper there. Ooh. Back home, Glenda is shaving her chin with a vibrator. Sean comes in with the flowers for Lawrence, with a plan to text him later, claiming that Lawrence wasn't his crown prince anyway, which wasn't what he was saying earlier. In fact, it wasn't what he's been saying since he really met Lawrence. Right, yeah, and Lawrence was not in the office when he went. Yeah, with the flowers. Right. Then Glenda tries to assault Sean with the vibrator. (laughs) Later, Sean talks Dylan into going to a fireworks display that just so happens to be organised near where Lawrence stays. Dylan hates fireworks, so Sean has to pay him 20 quid to hang out with him. Lawrence technically hasn't replied to the text, but Sean wants to be ready when he does. I love fireworks. I don't love them when our neighbours set them off at odd hours, when it's not even the 4th of July. (sighs) But I do like big fireworks displays, like the ones my brothers used to do. Hmm. When we would eat a pig that had been roasting in a hole in the ground for a few days. Good times. At the bistro after the fireworks display, Sean hasn't heard a peep out of Lawrence. Dylan thinks it's a shame. His loss, says Sean unconvincingly. 
all he needs in his life is Dylan. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I don't think it's bad that he was married to a woman once. I do think it's kind of weird that she's been dead for eight years. And yet that picture of him looked like him like yeah. now. Well, yeah, I, I think we can skip over that. It uh, didn't de-age him in no. any way. There's no Photoshop involved. Do you know, all I needed was a, a eight-year-old photograph of him and I could have Right. I could have done some magic on that. If they can afford a volume wall, they can afford Photoshop. That's all I'm saying. Yep, 10 bucks a month, that's all it costs. Yeah. Now, we had the last guy. Right, who turned out to be a bully. So he had this previous relationship with a bully. And that was a bee's knees. Mm -hmm. And that broke up when they discovered the whole bully thing. Well, when the bully started bullying Dylan. He didn't, he didn't break up with him when he discovered that he had once bullied the Undertaker. Tomato, tomato. He broke up with him. Mm -hmm. Bullying was involved. Yes. There was a very short period of time. Then Lawrence came on the, on the scene. And in a similar kind of length of relationship, Lawrence is now out of the picture. I don't think so. I think he's coming back. Because it kind of feels like Sean is just going through every homosexual man in Greater Manchester... For a month or so and then splitting up with them and every single time saying this guy is the one, this guy is the one. And I'm like, well what's the what's the point of that? Where are we right. going with that? Because yeah. it's Sean's storylines tend to be better when Glenda's there. So yeah. a, a Sean's storyline that is Sean and something else that isn't right. Glenda isn't isn't typically great. But just pushing them in and out of these relationships with people doesn't seem to have They don't much seem to point. know what to do with him. No, but then stop but, giving them storylines <laughs> until you do. Don't come up with this. I did love that jacket, though, with the flamingos. The magic eye one? Yeah, with the flamingos. There on, are flamingos on it. On Friday? Yeah. Is that what you saw? I saw a man with an umbrella, but that's the beauty of magic eye, I guess. It was a whole... It was more like... Oh, what was that book? Uh, Nick Nick loved the series of books when he was a kid where it was like a... Do you see, oh, do you see what I see book? Like when they have like like a shelf or something, it's like find this and find this and find this. But yeah, it was like a whole bunch of little pictures scattered on a white jacket. Frank, that was his name. Oh, Frank the Wank, yes. Yeah, Frank the Wank, I could forget Frank the Wank. I know, I knew that it was something the something you that knew they it were able with, to. You knew it rang the wank. Well, no, I was thinking that it was Dud, but then it was like, there's nothing that rhymes with Dud unless the guy's name was Stud. Or Dud. <laughs> dud the Dud. Dud the Dud. Fud the Dud. Grab yeah, the Dud. That's not go through everything that rings with Dud. the Dud. Yeah, I don't know, I just... Frank seemed quite nice to start with. Lawrence seemed quite nice throughout. And Lawrence still seems quite nice. I think Lawrence is handling this very well, saying, you know what, this is... Too much like hard work, too much energy. Yeah. And frankly, Sean, you're not worth it. No. <laughs> if only somebody would say that to him. No, oh, well. <sighs> what was that thing that fires LED lights at you or something? How's that better than moisturizer and stuff? I the it, the LED the light it helps. Like it burnt Glenda's face. Right, it smooths out your wrinkles and makes you look younger. Oh. But at first, it burns your face off, and then you know, it's like a a chemical peel. 
Oh, so it gets that. better after the burning. Right, yes. Okay. Yes. Beauty is pain. Pain beauty. I think it was the Dalai Lama that said that. <laughs> All right, our next storyline today is Racist to the Max. On Monday, Max is on his way to the pupil referral unit because every time they say Prue, I think of the company I used to work for. Yeah. When he's jumped by the nasty bullies and they must end up uh, punching his face because next we see him, he has a bloodied lip. It was awful. And David sees him and assumes he was in a fight and Max is indignant as he explains about being jumped by two guys. He storms off to the community garden and this is overseen by Griff, who seems to be working on the street in some kind of capacity or another. I thought he was maybe one of the guys that was working on the roof. Right, I was really confused when he's there and he's got this truck and he's got the yellow thing. I was like, wait a second. He's not the roof guy, is he? No. No, he's not the roof guy. What is he doing? Is he like a garbage man? I don't know. I mean, he is a garbage man. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that kind of, the bullying that Max got this time was actually quite severe. How quite he was intense, getting yeah. pushed into the, the phone box and stuff. Because right. the, the last time, remember, they pushed him over and they, they squished his crotch with a bottle of water to make it look like he peed himself. Right. And I don't know. I'm so sure. I'm sure that's. I'm sure that's terrible. But it's getting worse. But this w- was quite violent, and which is what happens. To, you know, right. when they get away with it, they escalate. Mm-hmm. It's like so, serial killers. Right. <laughs> Don't know why that's funny. So Griff follows Max to the bench and strikes up a conversation, introducing himself and generally being a bit of a fucking creep. Max slowly warms to Griff's awful chat and explains about getting punched by his vicious bullies. This is overseen by Peter coming out of the co-op, but he gets a call before he can intervene in this. Max complains about the refugee stealing his place at school, and Griff then sees the vicious bullies going to the co-op. And seeing Max's panicked reaction, Griff reckons that they need taught a lesson. Meanwhile, Spider and Toyer are having lunch in the bistro. She's got two tickets for Weather Scream. Paradise. Weather Scream. A kind of Horror Nation Street equivalent, I think. But Spider blows Toya off. Claiming, but I like that. Claiming that he has a friend in need that he has to go and see. Indeed. But he's already made arrangements with Griff to attend his racist Halloween party. Right, yeah. And he's keeping this from Toya, obviously. Right, yeah, because Toya knows that Griff is racist now. The vicious bullies come out of the co-op and then Griff pounces on the weaker of the two who calls Griff a pedo, which despite myself was kind of funny. Griff throws the bully to the ground and kind of... Just like Gandhi. And kind of... Don't get me started on that. And kind of roughs them up before sending the two of them on their way, threatening to burn them if they speak to Max again. And they run off. And Max is visibly shaken by all this, by this explosion of violence that we've just seen. Right, yes. After, Griff and Max exchange telephone numbers and Griff invites Max to the racist Halloween party that he's organised, saying that it looks like he needs cheering up. And Max, who has never been invited to anything before, is more than happy to accept. At the racist flat, Spider is dressed up as Rivers Cuomo, or Michael Caine, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) But no, he's actually Peter Parker. The Tobey Maguire Peter Parker. Let's let's be honest here. He's playing the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker because he's got glasses on. Because I thought it was a pun on them being Spider. That was his joke. Right. I don't think he was actually dressed up as Peter Parker. I thought he was saying he was Peter Parker because he's Spider. 
Man. Well, I think that's why he decided to be Peter Parker because he's Spider-Man. Anyway. Anyway. He's ready to party, but is shocked to see Max, who Griff introduces as a psycho, calling Max the future, and everyone else in the party cheers because... Why not? This 16-year-old kid's here. Spider covers for himself and addresses the fact that they both know each other in passing, and Max gets a call from David, so Griff encourages everyone to turn down the music and shh, keep it quiet while Max is on the phone to his, uh, to his parents. Max lies and says it is at AV Club, which Griff seems quite interested in. So later, Max is getting wired into the beer as he explains the bother where Nicky and all the racists agree with him that Weddy High is just the fucking worst. And then Griff and another racist get Max dressed up as Charlie Chaplin with a bowler hat and a Hitler moustache. Made out of packing tape. No expense spent. No. Meanwhile, Peter goes to see David to warn him about Max getting close to Griff, who is a big racist. David is oddly dismissive about all this, but Peter asks him to tread tread carefully where Griff is concerned. Have you listened to yourself, Peter, says David. Right. Which part of this is... Because, because you know, Peter is now this huge conspiracy theorist, but so was Griff. You'd think David would be concerned that Max was going to come home and talk about chemtrails. So David's basing this on that one exchange that he oversaw? Basically. (laughs) Wow. So David. Back at the racist party. Both Platt and the gnome. (laughs) Spider tells Max that he should probably get himself home. Max has had a few beers and so is full of bravado and Griff gets a bit suspicious of Spider. Spider explains that he's in enough bother at home in school without going home pished, and this convinces Griff, <clears throat> who sends Max on his way, tell him that he's welcome back anytime. Anytime! And they all have each other's backs around here, and Max looks like he's absolutely thrilled by all this. Meanwhile, back at Toys, she's made a meal for Spider when he arrives back. She nips off for a shake, which allows Spider to call his handler police guy and explain the latest developments, and that shit is getting too close for home, and someone's going to get hurt here. Yeah. Max gets home, and David is actually pretty laissez-faire about Max getting wired into his beer. Right. The two of them are able to chat in a friendlier manner now until David mentions the comments that he's heard about Griff, although he doesn't mention that Peter was the source. Mm-hmm. David advises caution. Max, though, gets a text from Griff with a photo of them all together at the racist flat, and Max looks like he feels he belongs with them. Right, yes. It was quite clever of Max to cover the fact that he walked in drunk by grabbing David's open can there on the coffee table, which, how convenient was that? Yeah. And take a drink and make sure that David sees him sneaking in a little drink. That's an old trick. I've done that before. Yeah, it only works if your dad drinks beer, though. Right, or your mum. <laughs> and mine did neither. <laughs> On Wednesday, Max is in the community garden when who comes along but his best friend, Griff. Aww. Griff is having another gathering at his house later and invites Max round, promising that there'll be some people his age there this time. Ooh. In between times, though, Max goes to see David and gives him a tea and seems to be far cheerier and zen these days as he explains that he's going to be late home tonight as he has to go at the library, which David is instantly suspicious about. Mm-hmm. And Max just laughs it off. Right. At Griff's. Max is getting wired into the beers again. Griff promises to give him a book so the library excuse isn't a lie. Right. And also introduces Max to Reese's daughter, Racist Kelly. Racist Kelly. And the two of them hit it off 
much to Griff's approval. Yes. Racist Kelly is impressed by Max's filmmaking. She's obviously not seen any of his films, although he does have some experience in conspiracy theories. Right. What was the... What was the About David, or, or Daniel. And the school, and right. covering it all up. And right, stuff, wasn't yeah. It? Griff gives him a book called Wake Up and Smell the Lies, which Racist Kelly has read and recommends. Griff sends Max home before David gets more suspicious. And at home, Max is reading his book, while David and Shona look on, somewhat confused. Max, exp- But also proud that he's reading a book. Their standards are so low. Max explains that the book is about how mainstream media deliberately lie to cover up the actions of the lizard people and the neocon New World Order. Well, that sounds great, says David. I'll have to have a read of that when you're done. And he and Shona clink their mugs together smugly. Right. Look at our son. He's reading a book. <laughs> on Friday, Zidane is on the phone to a supplier who requests a meeting with him later. I was like, what on earth are you doing, Gav, talking about Zidane here? Just bear with me. Yes. When they meet, it turns out that the supplier now has his own restaurant and makes a very generous offer to Zidane to join him as a temporary chef. Mm. Have a think about it, it says. Max drops into the hair salon looking for David to cash some money from him. Maria points out he's looking for an anniversary present and works out that Max has a hot date. Max asks if he can nick some money out of the till and shocked, Maria lightheartedly tells him to beat it. Max, I like that. Max has been watching movies with racist Kelly. Oh. She wants chips, so Darren secretly lends Max some money. And when racist Kelly sees this, she's a little bit racist to Darren behind his back. Right. And they remember not to get any curry sauce on my chips. And Max seems to be... Confused. What on earth are you saying that for? Right. What does that mean? Weirdo. It was hilarious because when they were walking down the sidewalk, you know, and I was, and I was watching, but I was also... Uh, doing Corey News at that point. I was like, oh, Kelly's back. Oh, you did? And I'm like, oh, no, that's not Kelly. That isn't Kelly. Well, Ooh, it's, it's racist it's Kelly. racist Kelly. <laughs> yeah. It's speed dial. Yasmin thinks that uh, Zidane's opportunity is something that cannot be missed and he should take it. They'll promote a sous chef into Zidane's position and one of the waiters can cook. I'm sure it'll be fine, says Yasmin. Yes. But Alia, though, is having a rare old time trying to deal with being short-staffed, thanks to Zidane and her gran. Maria is there with Darian, and he offers to help out because now Alia's put a sign in the window or something, just as Max appears to offer his services for the job too. Maria thinks that they both deserve a break and encourages Alia to hire them both. Max seems to be less racist now and seems to be quite happy to work alongside uh, Darian. Right, yes. Back at the racist flat, Griff and Reese are chatting about Muslims and their grooming gangs in front of Spider when Max comes in with racist Kelly. And Max is in a great mood because he's got a job at Speeddal. Griff is very cold to this information, thinking that he's not the right kind of colour to work there. And when Max mentions that Maria vouched for him, Griff is even more animated, and so is Reese at this point, which is making me think that one of them is her troll. Racist Kelly... Mm. Cools it all down by congratulating Max on his new job. Right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, yeah. It does. It, I had the same thought that somebody or everybody there have been people harassing Maria. Right. Because they don't like women to be so uppity. Yeah, they very quickly changed their tune. Maria who? One of them snaps. Right. I think the Reese character snaps at, yeah. at Max. Maria who? Who have all been very overly friendly with them mm-hmm. and 
playing and with beer he's played with beer again and this mm-hmm. it's just every time he's there that he's mm. he's getting beer right. more and more often which i think is a deliberate ploy and i think it's how i think this helps in the whole grooming thing that yes. you're going there to get alcohol and right. you keep on going back and all right. that sort of fun stuff yes the kelly racist kelly thing i mean i've posted something on twitter that was kind of joking right but kind of also a prediction of the future that in a year's time when this storyline is all over and done with and this character has been rehabilitated and right. she'll move in with Toya and she'll then she'll be the one to have important storyline after important storyline after important storyline flung at her until she eventually goes out with a volume wall and an explosion at the community garden. Mm. Yeah, I think she's part of the grooming. Oh, she is absolutely yeah. part of the grooming, yeah. She's absolutely part of the grooming. She She wouldn't look at Max... Otherwise, no. She's been told to flirt with them and right. to hang out with them and all that sort of Make stuff. Make him feel special. Yeah, because Griff was having a very close look at that relationship as it um, as it started, and she's all very laughing at his terrible patter and stuff. Right. And, yes. And yeah. What are your thoughts on this then? Like I like I said last week, I'm kind of not hating the idea of Max being groomed by essentially the proud boys only it's the proud boys of manchester right as, as opposed to austin that would be austin it would be houston wouldn't it i don't know but anyway because you got to keep austin weird baby and it does feel realistic like you said with the beer mm-hmm. with with the careful talking with the defending him from the bullies you know and and stuff i i I am worried that the more ingrained he gets, he's going to be very hurtful to his co-workers at Speed Doll. And that's going to come back on Maria, who's the one who vouched for him. Or is there going to be this conflict within him where he's friends with Darian and also wants to be friends with these racist people? I still don't know what the racist people's end game is here. Well, what they what they're really about and what they really want, because it doesn't. Well, I think we've got a little snippet of that tonight. Because there's a little bit about Muslims and there's a little bit about brown people, and there's a little bit about curry sauce. But that you know, in the past, Griff has been all about other things as well. No, the, and thing, it just, the thing tonight was the Muslims and the shop, which is a front for whatever grooming. I, I assume it's grooming that, that they think is mm-hmm. going on and their child and they're, abuse they're, and they're recruiting stuff. young Muslims into jihad or, or something. Or maybe something like that. Um, and I, I, I assume from that little snippet of the conversation and the things that Spider's been told about lives being in danger and all that sort of stuff, that they're maybe perhaps planning a, a bomb in that shop I, th- I think is, is where right. it's where it, tonight it's, it's where it sounded like it was going so with the emphasis that's going to be put on the, the violent aspects of it I assume that it is some kind of bombing or some kind of violent display or, or some such like that yeah. that is their, their their current motive and I think Spider said a few weeks ago that he knew that Griff was into the more serious stuff. Right. And I assume this is 
the most serious stuff. Right. The serious stuff isn't giving a book about uh, a corrupt mainstream, mainstream media. media to Max. That isn't right. that isn't the point. But again, that's another that's nice little another aspect of, of the grooming. grooming. Yeah. yeah. You know, in a world where there was this video circulating on Twitter this past week of this man breaking a window in a coffee shop and throwing in a Molotov cocktail. Yeah. You know, because the coffee shop hosted drag shows. Hmm. It's all too real. Oh, it's very much you know, real, yeah. And very much ripped from the headlines. And it seems like they're really taking this one seriously. Yeah. Because, of course, they are because it's Max. Well, yeah. And I'm, not a girl. And I've been uh, complaining about other storylines uh, lately. Mm-hmm. And... And this one does seem to be one of the ones that's holding the most interest at the moment is that they, they are doing this slowly. This, this slowly and well. Yeah. Uh, Griff is very believable. His friends are very, very believable. I think my point from... They remind me of some of our neighbours. From, from last week is still kind of valid that they, they do seem to be portraying that racism is a problem in amongst poor working class people which i'm sure it right. is but it isn't solely no that and and somewhere there's a money guy and so right. you know, who's the, who's the money guy and right. and all this but i think they're doing it they're doing it really well and max really is a character that has been set up over over the last few months you know going back to last year he's been set up as a character who is desperate for some kind of attention and, and approval and to be listened to and to and yeah, acceptance exactly and those are the sort of things that he's getting in abundance from Griff right. and, and his ilk and I wonder if Max is kind of getting earmarked as being the replacement for Peter who was being touted as being one of their you know he could be important to us kind of people I wonder if that's Max's role is going mm. to be something where Max is suddenly important to them because if they can convince right, because him, him he, to plant a bomb. Because he lost his place in school by an immigrant. So that's, you know, that takes over from the, the doctor who took a selfie. Yeah. Because here we have people who are at their heart, I guess, cowards who they don't want to be the one that's risking everything by by planting a bomb or by being the person that's throwing the Molotov cocktail or something, if they can convince somebody else to do it for them, then it's win-win as far as they're concerned. Yes. They're getting their, their aim has been fulfilled and they're not putting themselves in, in harm's way or in the way of the law. So I, I, I suspect that he's been getting set up to be doing something along those lines. At least if the storyline has been done properly, that's where it should be heading. I do feel like I still kind of have a problem with the fact that it seemed like they were really good at actually finally say something serious about climate change. Instead, they're rolling it into this whole racist thing. But the more the more we see of Griff, it feels like the more we are establishing him as being a particular something as opposed to being, you know, an eco warrior, and that that doesn't really sit all that comfortably when you think about it. Because for no. for him to be doing what he's doing, you would think that he would want the least amount of attention on him. It's like if you're a drug dealer, 
you're probably not driving at 85 down the motorway. You're probably yeah. doing 69 bang on on the cruise control. So by being the eco-warrior and by being the person who's at those rallies, and let's remember, he was the guy that, that uh, threw the right. the bottle at the at the copper. Right. So that's all kinds of heat and attention that he's risking right. getting thrown on him and his interests. Right. So it kind of feels like the eco-warrior was maybe... Was maybe the way that they were going to go and they've pivoted, but I, I don't think no. that they go well together at all. I was thinking maybe one is a good front for the other, but they aren't because by being the kind of eco warriors that they are, they're drawing attention to themselves and there's probably a file somewhere on them in right. the cop shop. Yeah, that, this is why, you know, they this is why Spider is this undercover detective. Yeah, detective, let's remember. In this, in this, yeah. this, this storyline. But I mean, None of those other guys in that meeting or at that party or at the concert last week seemed at all interested in talking about stuff happening to the environment. No. They were all about the ticker gerbs and yep. stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe Griff was pretending to be an environmentalist just to get Spider interested. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, moving on. Uh, moving on. Our next storyline this evening is doing a number one. <laughs> on Monday. Or a number two. The roofer guy, Arnie, is back. Yay. Mr. Freeze. <laughs> I'm here for freeze. He, ha- <laughs> yeah. he had another mini stroke, apparently. Tracy isn't about to start believing the shite and tells him he gets stuck into the work that they've already shelled three grand out for. So the work gets going, but inside as Daniel is making tea for the workers, Tracy discovers that one of the other workers has dropped a big ten punner into the shitter and knackered it. Yes. So she approaches Arnie with this, who is surprisingly quite understanding and magnanimous and promises to put the situation right as soon as possible. Tracy is impressed. It's night time, though, before the doorbell goes. Jacob answers it because he's back and announces that Yay. it's not the plumber. They go outside to discover that in addition to all the scaffolding that they have uh, still at the front of the building, there is now a port outside on the pavement, number one. That's hilarious. Aggie is furious about this. And Tracy, who was patting herself in the back a little while ago, now reckons that Arnie has got one over on her because Arnie's charging them for the hire and for the empty and only gets emptied once a week, so go easy on it. Mm. On Wednesday, Daniel... I, by the way, found that hilarious. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's this horrible porta potty mm-hmm. outside Ken's house. Right. Where's Ken and all this? And I'm still thinking, where's Steve at this point? Yeah. Steve is in Spain. Yeah. Steve wasn't in Spain on Monday, I don't think, was he? Did they mention anything about that? About where Steve was? Yeah, Steve wasn't there, though. Why is Steve in Spain all by himself? Is Ken with him? Because Ken's away too, although they mention Ken this week. They say that Ken went out in his bathrobe to use the porta potty. Right. So Ken's not up taking anything to do with us? Yeah, we don't ever see Ken all week. On Wednesday, Daniel bursts out a number one for a number two in their portal ahead of Tracy, who is not happy. Ed and Michael look on with mild amusement. Tracy is off to the rovers for a waz and an extra large Shiraz. She's Very off, well done. She's off for a shite and a quick little bite. Mm. Daisy has a number for a plumber, but Tracy refuses. She's going to the head and they get a bottle of red. Going to the head? 
Yeah, you've never heard the bathroom been referred to as the head? That's no. what they call it on the ship. It's the head. No, that's never, never heard that. Well, obviously, your dad wasn't in the Navy. He wasn't. <laughs> he was not. He was not. Daisy has a number for a plumber, but Tracy refuses to pay for it. It's Arnie the Builder's problem. He needs to fix it. Later, Arnie grabs Daniel and says, Look, Danny, I've got some bad news for you, but the flashing on the back end of the roof is totally fucked. And I need Daniel, I need you to make an instant decision about getting it fixed. Yeah, that's shady. So, pressured into it, Daniel agrees to Arnie and he sets about getting the scaffolder back. And this must happen pretty quickly, like nothing else in this storyline. Right. Because Ed is now round at number one complaining about the banging keeping Glory awake, their back door being blocked by the, the new scaffolding, and the front door stinking of Daniel's shits. Ed also <laughs> seems to think that Daniel's been done by the builder regarding this flashing nonsense, and uh-huh. Daniel hasn't Daniel is very much know. me in this situation. I have not a clue for any, any of that. Yes, it was I that dealt with our flashing problems a couple of years ago, remember? With a flashing problem? We did. Oh, see, that's how much I knew about it. <laughs> Annie now isn't taking Tracy's calls, but leaves a message saying that he'll be back once the weather's improved. And Daniel thinks, well, that's great. And Tracy's like, it's November. Oh, yeah, see what you mean. Right. Yeah. So Tracy calls Steve to bring him up to speed with the situation, then threatens to kill him. Mm. Well... Well, well, Daniel and Daisy are just round the corner. Scooby-Doo fashion. Yes, listening in. That was hilarious. On Friday at number one, Amy and Jacob have arrived back to find the room gone, the roof still fucked, and I'm having to piss outside now. They're on the blow. On They're not on the blow. They're on the blow up bed for tonight, and when Amy mentions finding a new place to live where they can comfortably defecate indoors, Tracy promises to fix it. Outside, Amy discovers that they're not the only people using the portaloo. The posties dropped off a special package as well. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious because he comes out and then he hands a package to them. That was so funny. Right, which Amy doesn't want to touch because it's no, because it's been in, in the there. With, yeah. Now this was a really funny aspect of it that completely caught me by surprise as well because when the portaloo is outside their house right i think they're within the rights to assume that they're going to be the only people using it no because it's on a public street it's on a public so street. everybody's gonna say oh this must be for these construction workers we could use this that they're paying to get the sewage cleaned out of right Damn. nobody knows that though just, it's just like oh look there's a porta potty let's use it that's when the postie walks over like oh my god that's hilarious it's so funny Tracy meets Daniel in the pub and wants to pass on the responsibility for the roof and the lavvy and dealing with Arnie onto him. And somebody said on Twitter that all the scenes with Daniel, it's supposed to be Steve, but they've had to change it at a last minute. Or Ken. Right. And there were some scenes, especially tonight, where Daniel was kind of making Muppet faces. Did you notice? No. He looked like he was trying to be Steve at certain Mm. points, I thought. Yeah, right, just... yeah, and the fact that they mention Ken walking out, but we don't ever see Ken walking out, that that says to me that, you know, that this was not, this was not a planned time for, for Simon or Will to be out of the show. Right. So but, Steve, who should be in the scene, claims to be stranded in Spain with a broken ankle from chasing a burglar or something that Daniel just does not believe. Right. Who cares? Just deal with it, says Tracy. Otherwise, Amy will leave, and she's the only good one in the house these days. 
Tracy, who's just as capable as Daniel of picking up a phone, has the gall to chase him up later in the pub, saying, have you phoned them yet? And we wonder why Steve left for Spain. Mm. But it turns out that Daniel has spoken to Arnie after all, and he's coming round later or something. So Arnie's mate carts the portable shitter off while Arnie demands cash up front before he looks at the inside lavvy or the flashing stuff. Tracy thinks he should be fixing the lavvy for free. Suck my balls, says Arnie, and he just wanders off. Tracy tells Daniel to sort it out. He, already, he seems to be trying to sort this out and they've to already, give him credit. They've already paid this guy who has done practically nothing. Right. So later, Adam has been brought up to speed with the whole shitter slash roof debacle and approaches the builder in the pub about it. Arnie isn't keen to listen and tells Adam to sling his hook. Adam quietly suggests that he Googles Tracy Barlow before mm-hmm. contemplating ripping her off. Right. So that was very good. That was very good. And the situation at number one is about to go nuclear. Tracy wants to move into a B&B and charge Daniel for it when Arnie arrives with his toolbox announcing that he's going to fix the toilet and the roof before any money has to change hands. Right. Daniel thinks this was all his doing and Tracy thinks it was all hers. Mm-hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this and week. And it was really Adam. So this was the kind of comedy that... Oh, yeah. I think we're getting quite a lot of mileage out of the scaffolding still being outside number yeah. one. Yeah, this was funny and I liked it. More of this, please. Yeah. Because... It involves a tense situation that involves more than one family, but it was also hilarious. Tracy being unreasonable was pretty funny. Right. Yeah. The the postie. That was just so out good. Of the, it's so good. It's so good. And, you know, really no words were exchanged there. It was just the postie walking out, yeah. handed over the package and going on his merry way, whistling. Yep. Amy's look of surprises. <laughs> Somebody that she doesn't know just walks out of this. Right. Yeah. What were you? What were you doing in there? Dirty posty. Yeah. Do we no, really want to know? There was lots of lots of good stuff in it. Yeah. I wonder if we've been thinking about what Griff and his Griff. Uh, his main motus operandi has been. I wonder what this builder's is because he's an absolute cowboy. Ed's been right all along. Absolutely, obviously. Ed's been right. But at some point, either. Money has more money has to change hands, or the roof has to get fixed at some point. And I still uh, suspect Ed's going to be the one fixing everything. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, Arnie as the as a mini stroke builder, right? It's it's pretty funny. It's, it's ticking the boxes for me. I would these scenes this week. I mean, I was enjoying the the um, the Griffin Mac stuff, but the scenes this week. This was always bringing a smile to my face. So, yeah, more of that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yes. And nice to see Amy and Jacob back. Yes. And also nice to see some uh, attention being drawn to the fact that there are far too many people in that house. And also, Jacob does more this week than just listen to music and change Ken's station. Yes. Moving on, our penultimate storyline, I think. Already? Yeah, there's only five storylines this week. Wow. Is summer sickness. Ugh. Yeah. On Monday, Aaron rushes to the factory, despite not working at the factory, to tell Summer that his old man is back on the muck again after a few days straight. He found a tin of tin super, I think, under his bed. Empty, yeah. Summer tells him to go to his dad and she'll go and get that abortion appointment on her own. But she panics and so she sends a pleading message to Todd to go with her. Then 
if Todd couldn't have gone, then it would have been Paul, right. then Aggie, then Hope, then Ken maybe, and Griff, then a quad, maybe then the fish guy. Anyone before she'd ask Billy. And Billy is wringing his hand so much about Aaron bailing on her, they're drier than sand. On the way to the clinic, Todd is actually great with Summer telling her, this is your decision and you can change your mind at any point. You can change your mind even in the clinic and that's fine. No one's forcing you to go through with this. This is 100% your decision. And she remembers the letter that Drew left her and wishes that he was there with her. She asks Todd about Aaron's dad in rehab, which Todd says is going to cost a fortune probably. Yeah. And then Summer's called at the clinic and she goes back through on her own. Back home, she has to explain that she's got to take a couple of pills in a day or so. And Billy wants to make a chart for the fridge so she won't forget. And Summer doesn't kill him, but does tell him to back all the way off. All the way off. Billy worries that he's not handling this very well. So Todd lies and tells him that he's doing a great job raising Summer single-handedly if you ignore all the help that he gets from him and Paul and the fact that Summer is an adult now. On Wednesday, Billy's still mithering and hand-wringing as he attempts to bring Summer breakfast in bed. But she wants to go out and do some thinking, and when Billy offers to go with, she sets him straight. She wants to go alone, and this leaves Billy feeling pretty useless. So he goes to Nina's Rolls where he meets up with Todd, and he explains this to him, and Todd explains, I think for the second time, that this isn't about you, Billy. But this ends up putting Billy's nose even further out of joint. Mm -hmm. Then Summer, who doesn't work at the garage, goes to the garage to chat with Aaron, but Aaron is super busy. And wants to end early to take care of his dad. It's not your job, kid. She asks if she can help. Not your responsibility, he says. She asks how much it would cost for proper rehab. And he plucks a number out there. Tells her ten grand. So now Summer, who is supposed to be intelligent, let's remember, goes off thinking this is how much rehab costs. Rehab is more than ten grand, typically. In the UK? For a private, yeah, probably. Mm. I mean, I think the point is that we don't know how much it costs. Right. And I know neither, how much it neither costs. Neither summer. I know how much it costs. I don't think Aaron does either. I know how much it Well, he said that he'd been looking into it. Mm, so he said. He says a lot of things. Yeah. Next we see her. She's at the clinic and Mike and Esther rush in because Mike and Esther are always rushing about. Two things that people say about Mike and Esther, they're childless and they're always in a hurry. And they're creepy. It seems they're already in the know about her plan and they tell her that she's making their dreams come true and they start rubbing her belly even though she's met them four times or something. Right. Very, very creepy. Never, never, ever just reach out your hand and rub a pregnant woman's belly without asking first. I'd go further and say anybody's belly. Right. But especially not a pregnant woman because everybody wants to rub a pregnant woman's belly because it's supposed to be good luck. The only... Belly that's okay to rub without asking. It's a puppy. As your dog goes. Yep. You're and a good a, boy. You're a good boy. And occasionally your cat. After the scan, Mike and Esther are upset as they talk about all their miscarried angels, which isn't creepy. Summer is looking forward to handing over her baby to the best mum and dad it could have. Mike reveals that they've spoken to a lawyer who recommends keeping shtum about this. Lawyers are good at that, eh? Mm. Lawyers always tell people to keep shtum. Summer agrees and then asks them for 10 grand to pay for Aaron's dad's Alki rehab. Yes. And they agree. Yes. It's good that she's honest with them about what she needs the 10 grand for. And it's kind of nice that they are just like, yes, yes, we will help the biological father of this child by paying for his dad's rehab. If she loses this baby, does she have to pay that 10 grand back? I don't know. (laughs) 
I would I would say no because she could always just threaten to go to the police then and say they tried to buy my baby. Mm. Later, Summer meets up with Aaron. She's raised the ten grand for rehab by selling their baby to Mike and Esther. Who the fuck are Mike and Esther, he asks. <laughs> and why did you do this without speaking to me? And why have you got all this worked out already? Aaron isn't happy about this, but Summer thinks it'll be worth it to get Eric back, an alcoholic man she's never spoken to and who hasn't actually asked for help and who hasn't shown any signs of being ready for help. After all, he's just gone back on the beer again. Right. It's win-win, says Summer. He wants her to give them the money back, but she says that she can't because it would be socially awkward to change her mind now. She thinks maybe it would help if he spoke to Esther and me. Yeah, if he met them. Back at the flat, Billy hasn't learned anything from his last chat with Todd and can't get a hold of Summer, so decides to prove that he's not a helicopter parent by walking the streets to try and find her. So Esther and Mike rush to the community garden because they're rushing again to speak with Summer and Aaron. Aaron is understandably cold towards them, much to Summer's embarrassment, until Mike asks about Eric and is sympathetic to the alcoholic situation. He confirms that Eric will be heading to rehab tonight, whether he wants to or not. Across the street, Billy, who is still searching for summer, sees this congregation already bigger than anything he's used to on a Sunday and looks on with concern. Yes. Later in the pub, Summer thinks theirs is the most wanted, unwanted baby in the world. Summer has a great feeling in her gut about this, not just her heart, in her gut. Right. Which means it's all going to go tits up sooner or later. Aaron points out that Billy is going to find out Summer didn't have an abortion pretty soon here. And back home, Billy's sitting on the couch. Which Summer seems surprised about. It's like, sweetheart. Yeah. Have you, have you never seen a pregnant woman before? <laughs> back home, Billy is sitting on the couch, staring into space blankly. When Summer gets back, that wasn't scary in the slightest. Mm. She claims she was talking to Esther and Mike about the abortion and they were very understanding. And she throws him a bone in his attempts to be useful by asking for some roasted cheese and telling him that he's the best. But when she heads for her room, she looks like she doesn't really want any roasted cheese. And maybe Billy isn't the best after all. Mm. On Friday, Summer's got the lack of sleep sickness that commonly happens when you're pregnant. She's getting her insulin pump thing installed tomorrow, which is making Billy cream himself because he enjoys tracking her every movement on the Summer app. Right, not creepy at all. That's not the point of that app. Billy. And he waves the app in her face to show how excited he is about being able to track her all the time. Right, yeah. It's like, this so not the point. He says, it's fascinating watching your levels go up and down through the day. Don't do it! No! It feels like it's kind of invading her privacy quite a bit. Right, yeah. It's supposed to, you know, you have it so if some if you're in danger, it will set out an alert. Right. To the person, because you may not be able to communicate. It's not for tracking somebody 24-7 and being a creepy helicopter parent about yeah. this. Maybe this is why she doesn't find Esther and Mark? Mike. Mike. <laughs> so creepy. It's because Billy is creepy himself. Right. Meanwhile, Aaron's dad has been dragged against his will to £10,000 worth of rehab, which allows him and Summer to focus on themselves. He's worried that Billy will eventually put uh, morning and sickness together and come up with five she has a doctor appointment with Gadas later but in the meantime it seems Aaron has been on mum's net so is plying some of with ginger biscuits that she doesn't want but when she pockets them this action is spotted by Amy and Jacob across the street and they appear concerned and the mums are right ginger is very 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 helpful I know that not just as a former pregnant person 
but also as a former cancer person. Mum's nits got his juices. That's right. what I'm saying. And, and he, doesn't he have like, like he's catfishing this mum's net group. He's pretending to be a woman. Yes. A woman who has a 10 year age difference with her partner who is right. working on an oil rig. Yes. He's given us some thought. An, an insane amount of thought. Rather than just saying my name's Arne and my girlfriend's pregnant. Yeah. I don't know how Mum's Net would react to that. Mm. Anyway, Summer goes to see Gada surprised that she didn't, and Gada is surprised that she didn't go through with the abortion. And she points out that morning sickness and diabetes don't really go well together. I don't know how long I can put it up with this, says Summer. Uh, nine months should do it, says Gaddis. Uh, and you then, don't have morning sickness for nine months. Well, that ruins that joke. Yeah. And then she asks how Billy is taking the news. Summer says Billy is very excited, which is only partially true. Back at the flat, Summer vomits into the sink and then wipes her mouth with a tea towel. And of course, Billy's around to see this. He thinks that she's purging again. She says that she's just sick and he falls for it. He makes a cup of tea, but doesn't instantly burn the tea towel or rinse the sink. He announces that he's still considering calling the cops on Esther and Mike. And oh, for fuck's sake, just drop it, says Summer. Meanwhile, Amy is in Nina's rolls with Jacob when Billy sneaks over to their table and asks them to send just a friendly text to someone who isn't feeling well to cheer her up. <sighs> Billy is such a loser. Mm. Amy tells him about what she saw earlier with the biscuit, which gets, Billy which gets Billy's anxiety up to his tits and beyond. Back at the flat, the Council of the Exes is convening again to talk about Summer's potential relapse. It's a summer intervention. Summer reacts as you would expect, so Billy explains about Amy grassing her up about her suspicious behaviour with a ginger biscuit. Todd demands the truth. Paul says she's not herself, and Fish Guy urges calm. Summer doubles down on the stomach bug, but Todd doesn't believe her. They all want her to speak to the doctor, and Billy wants an emergency appointment today and refuses to let her go on her own. And she kind of points out, well, look, there's such a thing as patient confidentiality here. Right, yeah. The British equivalent of the HIPAA laws. And that doesn't seem to cut anything at all with Billy. No. Uh, so then we have the somewhat awkward situation where Billy and Summer are talking to Gaddis about Summer having a stomach bug when she knows that Summer's pregnant and the whole suspiciously hiding biscuits thing. Gaddis is the only sensible person involved in this, so asks Billy to leave so she, so she can talk with her patient in private. Mm -hmm. And then Billy calls Gaddis badass, which Gaddis rather likes. And yeah. I can't imagine that's the first time that Gaddis has been called that. that right? right, yeah. We call her that for Pete's sake. Do we? Yeah. I don't think I've ever called her that. I'm always saying Gaddis is a badass. Oh, yeah, I think you are. Yeah. So privately, Gaddis is angry with Summer for putting her in an awkward position like this, but Summer refuses to budge, even when Gaddis points out that uh, she's young and diabetic, and continuation of this is going to make Gaddis a liar having to cover for her, which she refuses to do. And knowing Billy like Gaddis knows Billy, Billy's going to have you in here every other day. Right. I just need Aaron, says Summer, and she refuses to speak with Billy, which is, I guess, totally understandable. Yeah. Later in Nina's roles, Summer has a go at Amy the snitch, and then she catches a whiff of bacon cooking and she runs off to vomit. That looked like some very nice bacon. And did proper bacon. Mm. She rushes off to vomit and maybe have a quick shake. And this is all it takes for Amy to work out that Summer is still pregnant. She's like, oh, I love she's you, acted Amy. like she's still pregnant, and then she's like, oh my god. Mm -hmm. Because she remembers, see, because, you know, a couple of years ago, she was the pregnant teenager. Yep. Amy is just the best here. She's mm -hmm. just sorting everything out. Right. 
Back at the table, someone is shocked to find that Amy has worked out her pregnancy secret. She tells Amy that she's giving the baby to Mike and Esther in exchange for money that they will use to force Adam's dad into rehab. Oh, and Billy doesn't know. This no, is, no. This is pretty fucked up right here, says Jacob. Amy thinks it's illegal and to sell Jacob a baby. Jacob has seen some pretty <laughs> fucked up things in his life. Right. Amy thinks it's illegal to sell a baby. Summer points out that she's not selling it. She's just giving it away for money. Amy reckons it will be impossible for Summer to keep the secret for any length of time because she's stupid and he's thick. Summer says if Billy finds out, he'll go to the police about Esther and Mike, which should probably happen. Mm -hmm. Amy, though, has had an idea. So Summer goes home to tell Billy that she and Aaron are going to move in with Amy and Jacob in the builder's yard flat. Billy worries that this is because of his attempted intervention. Billy actually says, is this because of my attempted intervention? Right. Which... When you hear yourself ask that question to someone, right. really should be a flag to, oh, I really need to just chill here about this whole thing. I attempted an intervention. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. Maybe I should be speaking to her. Yeah. <sighs> Billy hides his hurt and goes off for a chippy tea, which allows Summer and Aaron to talk about six months of baggy jumper territory. Three months ago was the Rape Hotel liaison, so it looks like they did mm. get their hold that night after all. Oh. And that is how we end that storyline this yes. week. You know, I don't know I don't know what it is, but this didn't annoy me as much as I thought it was going to this week. I am astounded by that, because this annoyed the hell out of me, mostly Wednesday. I think I think we had already kind of twigged that summer was going to go back on this and actually sell her baby to these crazy people i don't think i i don't think i suspected that well maybe it was somebody on twitter and i who both suspected it but i suspected it all along because why introduce mm-hmm. chekhov's crazy christians if you're not going to use chekhov's crazy christians this is true and so i guess because i saw it coming it didn't annoy me as much it does annoy me desperately that Aaron thinks he's responsible for taking care of his dad and that Summer thinks that she is also responsible for taking care of Aaron's dad. They are not responsible for taking care of this alcoholic. No. At all. It does annoy me that Aaron's doing the whole thing that so many of the other men on this street have done in the past, which is telling their women folk that they can handle these things on their own. Uh. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Neither one of you should be handling this on your own. Neither one of you should be handling this at all. No, they shouldn't even be handling it together. No. This, this is, frankly, nothing to do with either of them. And not a single adult who is aware of Aaron's situation has said to him, you are not responsible for your dad. You cannot help your dad. The best thing for you is to stay out of it mm-hmm. and let your dad figure himself out. Not one adult has taken this child in hand. And there are lots of adults around him. Not just Billy and the Council of Dads. There's also Kevin and Tyrone and mm. Abby, wherever she is, mm. who are She'd ad- been a mom. Who are adults who have dealt with Well yes, Abby is that's probably a really good person to speak to about addiction this. issues mm. and violence. You know, and not one of them since the whole thing with Aaron's dad 
has stuck up for him. In fact, Kevin's giving him a hard time and they're leaving him alone to work yeah. on cars while they deal with other things. I don't know what Kev is dealing with, except, of course, a horse's head. You the mafia? You don't remember that scene in the Rovers? Oh. <laughs> where it's yes. Brian and it's Roy. And then Kev comes in with a horse's head on. And he says, hello. And they say, hello, Kev, because they know it's Kev. Yeah, I think I'll mention that in this next storyline. Ah, okay. But no, I think Billy's maybe come the closest to closest to getting it because Paul doesn't care. Paul doesn't like Aaron and Paul just doesn't want Summer to have anything to do with with him because Summer's got enough going on. Todd is Todd. Todd is Todd and Todd is very focused on Summer and I don't think really cares that much about Aaron. And I don't even know, has, has he spoken to Aaron? I can't remember. But yeah, you're right. Nobody has really sort of taken Aaron aside. But the thing that really gets me or, or got me about this on Wednesday was that when you add all these things together to, if you were to try and describe what's happening in this storyline to somebody, mm-hmm. it would it sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. Because you've got a diabetic teen mm-hmm. who's pregnant with her on-again, off-again boyfriend right. who now claims to to love him and be the want to spend the rest of her life with him, right. which I don't even think have they said that they love each other? I can't remember. Who knows? But I'm wanting to fund the rehab of his alcoholic father, where the alcoholic father has given no agency whatsoever in, in right. all of this. And so the, this one paragraph description of the story is just like, really, this is this is how we've how far we've come along in this deal summer the worst hand ever. Mm-hmm. over and over and over again right. this this is the culmination of that is that we are now saying paragraphs like that out loud to explain this situation because every part of it is just ridiculous because this woman was supposed to be clever right and at no point does she think that maybe selling her baby that she could lose tomorrow right is especially a, is a good as a idea. diabetic right you know None of, just none of this makes any sense. And the fact that these two people, who are both healthy, relative people, have had all these problems with miscarriages, and not one time do they, and they just assume that Summer is going to have a nice, regular, healthy pregnancy. Neither one of them seem at all worried about her diabetes. Nope. Who, at this point, would be as well adopting. Right. For a start, it's been born. Mm-hmm. So all of that right. risk for the next six months has already been successfully... Nine months. No, because she's three months pregnant. So there's a six-month gap between her now and right. giving birth. Uh, why is she... If she's if she's three months pregnant, why is she only now getting morning sickness? You'll have to ask the writers about that. Yeah, she should be past because she's she's done with the first trimester. She should be well past this. Unless she's not three months pregnant, but she said that she but, has six months of baggy jumper territory to go through. Then again. And then it was three months ago that it was a rape hotel. Then again, Abby, mother of three, <laughs> right. had no symptoms whatsoever of being pregnant and never showed at all of being pregnant and then just had a baby on a road. 
So I I feel like the writers of the show skipped health class when they explained <laughs> the birds and the bees to the fifth graders. I just want to be clear that I don't have any issue whatsoever with the really even the summer character. No. And uh, Harriet's portrayal of her. Right. No issues with that whatsoever. I feel like she's been given a raw deal. I think so too. And I think that the my main issue with this isn't even the fact that she's pregnant. It's everything that's attached onto it. All these other bolt-on parts to of the the diabetes and the and the the body image and the the binging and purging <laughs> and the the obsession with with Daniel and when you add all all of these uh, ancillary pieces to the storyline, it just it just really makes it unbelievable. And by now, the selling of a baby for the exact amount of money that it's going to cost to put somebody who doesn't want to go into rehab into rehab, when that gets added on, it's just like this is just now so ridiculous, mm-hmm. and it is taking the 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 viewers for fools a little bit. Yeah, and unfortunately. Quite a few people are taking it out on Harriet and 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 the character that she plays. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't. You, you're you're welcome to not like the character. Some right. characters are not meant to be liked. Right. But you never take it out on the actor because right. you're, if you're criticizing something, you're criticizing the storyline, and you're criticizing the fiction that's been presented to you. Absolutely, they are doing her no favors and. People have been complaining about this for months and yet they still just keep shoving all of this stuff yeah. on this one teenage character yeah, instead well maybe, of saying... Maybe people oh, like maybe, it more if we make her pregnant. Oh, maybe people like no. it more if we make her give away that baby. No, sell that baby. <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and it's like whenever we see the other teenage girls, it's like a breath of fresh air. We're like, oh... Amy and Jacob are back. Oh, thank God. Right. And actually, I'm kind of happy that the four of them are going to be living together. Yeah. Because I feel like that will help. Yeah. Because. Emma and Faye, let me remind you. Totally different. <laughs> Neither one of them were Amy. One was Emma, though. Let's be honest. That Towards the end. <laughs> Toward, I mean, let's, let's remember. Oh, yeah. They, they that, that Emma concept. had. Her hand stuck in a vase for two <laughs> episodes. But anyway, we would be perfectly happy if they would just show these kids being kids and not just throw trauma at them all the time. She used to be the most level-headed character on the street. Right. She was the most... Like I said, when Amy got pregnant a couple of years ago, I said this would never happen to Summer because Summer has a level head. She's got a good head on her shoulders. She's sensible. Hmm. And they decided to just drop her on her head and make her forget what she is. They needed to milk some drama out of it. Right, yeah. Because evidently they didn't have enough drama with, you know, all the crap that Asha went through. And then all the crap that Amy went through. And all the crap that Kelly went through. But even even so, it feels like they're just... As much as they piled onto the other young women on the street... The summer stuff almost kind of feels vindictive at this it point. Does. I because think I said just, this last week. It's mean. It feels it just, mean. It's just stop. 
Leave this poor girl alone. <laughs> what the hell, man? And Billy's, they've, they've amped up Billy's mithering as well, which yeah. isn't helping. No. And actually, Todd and Paul are are far more calm about the whole thing. Right. They feel It feels like Tom, Tom, Todd and Paul mm. are the ones who are keeping Billy sort of grounded. Or trying to, yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget, it was Paul who threatened Aaron in the street and told him to leave Summer alone a few yeah. weeks ago. I don't know that I can do six months of this. No. And this might just need to be something that we don't talk about because no. it's just it just annoys me so and, much. And you know what? Honestly, with them moving in with Amy and Jacob in a, in a separate flat, it kind of feels like they're going to be able to do that where we don't see them very often anymore because they're not hmm. living with Billy. Right. Oh, well, our final storyline tonight is The Book of State. On Monday, at home, Tyrone is reading the article in the paper about John Stape. This instalment seems to be focused on Jade. And Jade! How, and they know about the fake bruises, which means that they've got some inside information here. Right. Tyrone goes to the cabin and tries to appeal to Brian to stop selling the Gazette for a week until the serialisation is done, but Brian plays hardball, so Tyrone buys all the papers. All the papers! And along comes Adam and he says, well, I'll just check it out online then. There's no way in the world that Adam reads away the Gazette. Who are you trying to kid? At work, Tyrone is chatting to Fizz, who's delivering his sandwiches, and they chat to Kev about all this, Tyrone explaining that someone they know is selling all their dirty laundry to the press, and Phil with two L's is the number one suspect. So Tyrone tries to get a hold of Phil, but Tyrone believes him, <coughs> just like Fizz did last right. week. And Phil with two L's has actually even been kind enough to provide the mobile number for the journalist who's writing this trash. Fizz tells Tyrone to leave a message, offering to meet up in the hope that this will draw them out. So Tyrone speaks to the journal, but they refuse to divulge their sources. Tyrone makes a note of all the people who knew anything about the Jed situation. Evelyn's name goes on the list. Fizz saying that it won't be hard, but she'll be furious when she finds out that the article says that she's 92. Mm -hmm. And this piques Tyrone's interest. Yes. And he challenges Hope with this information. Apparently a couple of weeks ago, she asked how old Nana was, and Tyrone joked that she was 92. Right. Who have you been speaking to, he demands. <gasps> So it comes out that Hope has been telling her mm -mm. online friends about this, particularly Mad Dog 2020. So I was right. I think you were. I was right. Fizz tells her. Get us right up here. Fizz tells her to let them know the next time Mad Dog 2020 gets in touch. Tyrone calls this grooming, grooming under his own roof for profit. Mm hmm. In the pub, Tyrone and Fizz enlist the help of Adam, who thinks that unless they have proof, this is going to be <laughs> difficult to prove anyone has libeled anyone else. But Ty insists that they, uh, that they got their information under false pretenses. And Adam is bored with this, so says that he'll look into it and ask them to drop into the office, when this time can be billable. And it's at this point, I think, that we see a, a behorsed Kev walk mm -hmm. up to... Roy and Brian at the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian's dressed up as a pirate and Roy has an arrow through his head because yes. Gemma refused to serve anyone unless, unless they, were they have a costume. Yeah. Gemma was dressed up as Gemma. <laughs> and they say, all right, Kev. And that, was, and that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was fun. On Wednesday, the next article in the Gazette suggests that Hope is probably going to turn out to be a psycho just like her dad. I don't think papers would write that. Even in this day and age. The Daily Mail would. No, I don't think they would. 
Fizz and Tyrone worry about what the kids at school are going to say to her. And they go to speak to Adam and Tyrone as a bit of a twat who seems determined to hit someone. Adam has a meeting with the newspaper later today and advises calm. And then Fizz gets a call from the school telling her that their hope is missing. And Fizz finds her in the community garden with Sam. Sam explains that some girls were being nasty to Hope and he thought it made sense to bring her home. And Fizz oddly decides to start blaming Sam for all this because instead of going home, Hope is hanging out with him. Nick hears this commotion and comes over. He's received the same call from the school. Fizz continues to have a dig at Sam, blaming him for dragging Hope out of school. And Nick loses his patience, saying that Sam is a good kid and maybe it's for the best if Hope and Sam keep their distance. And that shuts Fizz up. Back home, Fizz has realised that if Hope doesn't have Sam, then Hope doesn't have any friends. Yeah, Nick is a dick here. And all this is Sam's fault, and Nick thinks that Hope is a wrong one. I don't think Fizz is much better. Well, it, it, it feels like Fizz is right that they should have gone to a teacher instead of just deciding on their own to leave school. And it was Sam's idea to leave school, not Hope's. Yeah, but... Hope decided to go along with Sam. Right. And nobody talks Hope into doing anything that she it's doesn't true. want to do. And Fizz, but it was his idea. And Fizz is happy to blame everybody for all of this apart from Hope. Yeah. Hope carries no responsibilities as far as Fizz is concerned. And I think that's her bullshit move. Right. So Tyrone is still desperate to punch something. And he goes to see Nick and punches him full in the face warning him that if he comes near his family again, he'll kill him. That was hilarious. Sam was apologetic, but Nick now decides that he stays away from Hope and he confiscates the walkie-talkie thing. <gasps> Adam is round seeing Fizz. He explains that he's got a newspaper to stop the serialisation following the details being gleaned from a kid on false pretenses, but the book is still going ahead. Again, he advises calm. No one loses their head and no one loses their head. Gulp, says Tyrone, lightheartedly. And later, Leanne storms round to see Fizz and Tyrone and disabuses Fizz of what happened earlier with Tyrone and Nick's face. Tyrone is unapologetic, saying Nick got what he deserved because Fizz was in bits. Fizz is an adult, says Leanne, and this news seems to come as a bit of a shock to Fizz. Leanne dumps the walkie-talkie on the table and warns Tyrone that if he pulls this stunt again, the cops will be called. Hope's going to be devastated, says Fizz. Tough tits, says Leanne. Tyrone insists that he was only protecting his family and he'd do it all again and then fantasises about decking the journalist who wrote the article in the first place. Is Tyrone on testosterone? Because he was doing his taekwondo and stuff. I thought, why is Tyrone suddenly trying to be this kind of alpha male thing now? It's weird, but also I think it's just... (sighs) I think maybe he's just reached his limit. With this whole thing. He seems to be trying to compensate for maybe the massive fuck-up with Alina. Mm-hmm. That he's trying to be family man times a hundred. Mm-hmm. But he's like so determined to hit people. Mm. And that's not really Tyrone. Eh. He's hit people before. He's the person who gets hit more, more often than not. Well, that's true. On Friday, Tyrone is getting ready to take Hope to school and explains to her about how her one friend at school probably isn't her friend anymore but refuses to explain why. So Hope refuses to go to school and Fizz tells Mike Tyrone to fix it with Nick. So Tyrone catches up with Nick and begs him to allow Hope and Sam to be friends again. Trouble just seems to find your family, says Nick, who points out that Ty sucker punched him. 
He's protecting his family. Which was hilarious. And has spoken to Mrs. Cross already to make sure that the two of them stay apart. Because I'm sure Mrs. Cross right, has got nothing yeah, better you, to you do with You really think the schools are going to be like, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, worry, no, sure. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got, you know, overcrowded classrooms. The and classrooms <laughs> fill the brim with Iraqis. But sure, I'll make sure that and, the... And COVID is still a thing. But sure, yeah. <laughs> At school, Hope has been bullied by nasty whispering girls. Sam comes along and tells Hope why he's not allowed to talk to her. It's because her dad lamped his dad. And Sam is a good boy, so doesn't want to get any trouble. Because Hope says, we can still we can still be together. Right, just in school. And nobody needs to find out, but mm. nah, Sam doesn't want to get any trouble. Fizz and Tyrone meet Adam in the Rovers and want to talk about the legal issues in the pub. Adam, though, would like to wait until it's busier, so stalls them. And this delay lets Tyrone admit to Fizz that he hasn't explained fully to Hope what's going on between him and Nick. Adam finally meets Ty and Fizz at home and may have been able to put a privacy injunction on the book. Adam's done a fantastic job here. He really has. He stopped the paper day one and it looks like he's managed to stop the, the book day two. Right. But when the awkward subject of his payment comes up, Hope storms in to call Tyrone a prick for punching Nick. But Tyrone isn't the only one she's pissed off with. She's also pissed off with Goody Two Shoes Sam, who isn't perfect, perfect neither. And this piques Tyrone's interest as it removes the heat from him. So later we see Fizz going around to see And Adam Nick. says, I'll just send you an email. Yeah. She is practically pissing herself with excitement and she says that she has information to share about Sam. He's not perfect after all either. He's still uh, writing secret letters to Harvey. She just seemed to take so much joy from that. It's like, I didn't think she was taking much joy oh, out of it. To, I thought, she seemed she seemed filled with righteous indignation, but it didn't feel like pleasure. I thought she was enjoying it. Meh. So that confronts Sam about this, pointing out that Harvey didn't reply. Sam is sorry he lied, but not sorry he wrote the letters because he still needs answers. And Nick is absolutely outraged by this. He's furious. And he shouts at Sam for not getting it, for not understanding that he's never going to get answers. Harvey's never going to change his mind. And this needs to stop now. Sam quietly walks off to his room, which I thought was quite telling. There was no shouting back. There was no yeah. tantrum. There was just, he got up and he left the room. Yeah. It's good for you, Sam. Yeah, that's a very sad <coughs> thing to do. Mm -hmm. At dinner, Hope has a sad sausage. As she talks to Fizz and Tyrone about the Sam situation, she's surprised to learn that her parents are trying to stop publication of the book, though. And she asks if they can promise that they will stop it. And Tyrone stupidly says yes. And this makes Hope a happy sausage. And she goes off to play with Ruby. You are a fucking idiot, says Fizz. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. They keep going back to this well. Mm. And it just feels like maybe, maybe they should stop going to this well. I'm glad. The well of Stape. Yes, the Stape well. Like a good neighbour. Stapewell is there. Or a little uh, Mr. Kipling's Stapewell tart. <laughs> oh, I could fair go a Bakewell tart right mm. now. Well, you'll have to make some. They keep going back to this. And they keep going back to this notion of the bad seed. Yep. That hope is the way she is because of genetics. Which I've enjoyed. Which gets old. And is also... Smacks a little of eugenics. Yeah, a little bit. Just a wee bit. And in this day and age, maybe we shouldn't be smacking eugenics. No. Maybe we should not poke that particular bear 
too much. The Cory writers have been reading the bell curve. <laughs> is this all this child is good for? And we know that that's not true. She is mischievous. Right. Mischievous. Right. And I would like for her to have storylines where she's mischievous and nobody brings up who her dad is. Mm. That would be nice. Yeah. And it would be nice if she just got into like regular mischief, not mischief that could get someone killed. <laughs> right. You know, this is the child who tried to murder her stepmom yeah. and her stepmom's bebe, uh, you know, unborn bebe. Yep. Tried to burn down the factory, <laughs> ripped a doll's head off. Well, we can't have that. Wasn't there like a... a <laughs> That's where the matches were. Oh, it was match. I thought it was like a Stanley or something that she had in there. I can't remember. <laughs> you know, and, <clears throat> and we joke an awful lot about Hope being the villain of the show and she'll murder she'll someday. Kill. So, mm-hmm. You know. And we can't wait. And everything. But I would just like for once for the kids to be allowed to be kids. Mm. You know? And it feels like at this point, the only kids allowed to be kids on the show is Ruby and Lily. And that's because we barely ever see them. Yeah. As soon as they have a storyline, they're not allowed to be kids because this isn't a kid's show. Right. But we can still have them be, you know, cute, delightful kids, you know, on on the sidelines until they're old enough to have their own storyline. I, for one, though, I do have to say I am so glad... That it wasn't somebody trying to groom Hope. Yeah, I thought Mad Dog 2020 was going to be that. In that way. Yeah, absolutely. Just. I was relieved by that. Yeah, because that, for all the world, like sounded it. like... Right. It was it, like, oh, she's 12 now. I was like, so how Time many... to have her sexually assaulted. Because how many grooming storylines can we have on the go at one time? Because at some points, it kind of felt like Summer was getting a little bit groomed by this pair as well. I am, however, quite interested and keen to see the scene that is obviously going to happen because they, they can't go this far with it now and not do it mm-hmm. which is having Sam and Harvey in the same room together and Sam trying to get the closure that he deserves closure on this right yeah <laughs> he's old, he might be young but he is he's not He's not a regular little boy. We've established this well in the right. last year or so, right? So he deserves to get the closure that is due on this. He deserves to get some but retribution again. And, and a conversation with Harvey. And I think that would be I think that would be pretty awesome. It should be obvious to the adults around him. <laughs> right. That he does not have closure, that something is wrong. I think the adults are right that it's a bad idea for him to sit face to face with Harvey. I think that would be traumatic, Mm -hmm. even for a kid like Sam. But they're not saying, you know what? We really need to get him to speak to somebody. Get him into like a grief support group or a therapist. But instead, all they do is yell at him and take away his only friend, mm-hmm. who's not an adult. Yep. Because Sam's friends are Hope, Audrey, 
and Roy. Yeah. And, Those are his friends. And Audrey's his great grand, so I don't know that that counts. Right, but she, he's obviously her favorite. Because she's not taking any of the other kids on a cruise. <laughs> no. Even though they also had a mum who died. Hmm. Horribly. <laughs> yeah. Do not marry anyone in that family. Yeah, I think, I think Nick and trying to protect his son is ending up just making this worse. And this, Sam is only going to resent him more and more the longer this, this goes on. And people have talked to Nick about this. Leanna's talked to him about it. Although... In some ways, she's just as bad because she's not do it. She's not giving Sam the support he needs either. No. And I don't think she can continue to use Oliver as an excuse. No, I, I, every time he's mentioned, it's like that's got less and less power. I think in the, right. the point that she's trying to make, right? Because it's it's a soap, and we move on. And you know, if anything, it should be the thing that allows Leanne to have an in with Sam. You know, where she can sit him down and say, look, grief never goes away. You mm-hmm. never get closure. You know, it just becomes smaller. Or is it bigger? It doesn't get smaller. You just find room for it. Right. I think is yeah. the analogy. I, can, it, I was trying to think of it myself a little while ago and I couldn't exactly remember it, but something right. along those You've lines. You've seen the graphic with the ball in the jars where the where it... Where the ball gets small, you know, the ball gets smaller, but it never goes away completely. Yeah. And sometimes it, it gets larger again. And, you know, that's that's just the way it is. That's just the way grief is. It's a it's a sweater, you know? Yeah, yep, yep. You go through it, you you put it on, and you go through life with it. Oh, didn't Nick explain it rather brilliantly himself that it's like you just, it's a broken foot and you just learn to dance with a broken foot. It's something along those lines. That sounds like a horrible analogy because eventually your broken foot does heal. You still have scars though. No, it was a good, it was a good analogy. Yeah. Well, evidently he forgot all about it, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. (sighs) Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street then. Yeah. It sounds like you enjoyed it far more than I did. So this should be an easy question for you then, Helen. What is your moment of the week? Oh God. It's the postie coming out of the porta potty. I think it is. I think that's my moment of the week as well. That is absolutely the moment of the week. And thank you for allowing me to finally have a funny one. It's been a while since we've had a funny one. Is it? Yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, no, the posty coming out of the porta potty, uh, uh, and, and I'm kind of going along with it because Amy's reaction was just so Perfect. spot on as well, as, as was Jacob's. It has yeah. to be said. That is our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. What was the boring moment of the week? Do you think? Uh, Billy. Just Billy. Just Billy. <laughs> Let's see if we can if we can whittle that down any further. I thought the, is intervention, it him? the intervention was kind of cringy more than it was boring. Is it him, you know, being excited about that app? No, because that was really more creepy than boring. Is it Sean and his discussion with Dylan about fireworks? Is it Zidane going to London for no reason? What if I would get rid of Zidane? Maybe he's also going to be on I'm a Celebrity. Or something else. Have you seen what Steve's involved in? No. It's a, it's a drag queen. What? It's a, like a RuPaul thing that he's involved in. 
Oh, is it Celebrity Drag Race? I think so. Wow. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> I don't know if that if that's why he's not in it at the moment, but he is in, he is in that. He's a handsome woman. <laughs> Was it the Toyo's tickets for Weather Scream? Oh, you know what? I think it is. Yeah, it's the tickets to Weather Scream. Oh, was it Spider dressed up as Rivers Cuomo or Michael Caine? Or Peter Parker. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's the tickets. The tickets was kind of dull. Right. She's got, yeah. t- she's got that kind of I've ticket got, for I've got, it, it's, you know, and she's talking it up like it was so hard to get these tickets. Yeah, nobody's, you're the only person that's bought tickets for that. Right, time. yeah. Everybody it. remembers Horror Nation Street. Yeah, Nobody wants that. to do that anymore. That is our... Boy moment of the week. Well, that about wraps up for this week then. Too fucking right. <laughs> if you think that Helen should swear more, write in to tell us about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com. No, I'm the sweary one. And we are at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You have a whole nation depending upon you to be the sweary one in this, in this, in this podcast. That's right. You can check me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more A Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Cut. Bye. <laughs> Bye.